0: Hello and welcome to Dialogue. 30 years ago, on August 24th, China and the Republic of Korea established diplomatic ties and have seen their trade grow 50 times to today's roughly $300 billion. But Seoul is facing challenges as its security provider, the U.S., is pushing for a new Cold War against China, its largest trading partner. To review the 30 years of China-South Korea ties and also to look at the horizon ahead, I'm glad to be joined today by Rong Yim, Vice President of the China Institute of International Studies, Charles Liu, Founder of Hall Capital and a Senior Fellow at the Taihe Institute, and Kim Chang-Kim, Professor of Law at Korea University. Later in our show, we'll also look at the latest released report on China's investment in Africa. These are our topics. I'm Shi Qingduo. Welcome to the show, gentlemen. Uh, Roon, I will start with you. Thirty years, uh, you know, time flies. So, what's the biggest achievement for you uh, if you look at China-South Korea relationship?
1: Well, of course, uh, this today uh, marks the 30th anniversary of the establishment of di- diplomatic relations between China and ROK. and three decades uh, have past, I think the relationship has been uh, uh, moving and developing from uh, 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 steady and stronger and more mature. And of course, in the past, in the course of that 30 years, there are some problems, uh, differences and difficulties. But all in all, I think if you look at the uh, the beginning of the establishment of a diplomatic relations and over the the, the 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 process of development particularly in terms of the relationship itself from a cooperative uh relationship or a co- comprehensive cooperative partnership now china and ROK are strategic partnership and as you said that if you look at the practical cooperation trading investment i think again it's been amazing it's been Incredibly developed, and in if we look beyond the bilateral sort of relationship, one would also find that the relationship is becoming so important uh, in uh, uh, in the region and beyond. So, as I think the two countries celebrating their 30th anniversary, certainly there are a lot of le- lot of things need to look at, and I think we are very much uh, hopeful. I think the next 30 years and more, the relationship would continue to develop from stronger and more and more mature, even though there are differences, even though there may be challenges ahead.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, Professor Kim, how does South Korea see its relationship with China?
2: I think it's obviously a very important uh, partner for South Korean government. Um, Thirty years ago, uh, South Korea had no uh, kind of uh, exchange with China, but now china is uh, is uh, it's really very important trade partner, and uh, any serious damage to the the relationship between two countries would surely be uh, very uh, fatal to i mean near fatal to South Korean economy, most of them. Uh, of course, there, there are very complex and complicated issues about the relationship with the United States. And uh, also Japan, the role of Japan is also very complicated. But I think what is perhaps most important driving force towards better future is the trade relationship between
0: the two countries. Mm-hmm. The trade relationship, of Charles... Uh, you are in business, uh, you know, we talked about 50 times uh, growth of the trade volume between the two countries uh, you know, compared to 30 years ago. And if you look at the current uh, uh, total volume, for example, between China and South Korea, which is larger than uh, South Korea's trade with the US and Japan combined. Uh, so that, that means a lot in terms of probably contributing to this stability peace and And further strengthening of these bilateral ties
3: I think uh, there are two aspects here. One is the last three decades of relationship was principally a period of people using the best resources they have to focus on development and focus on creation of wealth and combining and collaborating with each other to create a better life for their peoples, But the last five years or so, maybe a little bit longer, there are so many geopolitical forces which has come in to interfere in this attempt to improve the livelihood of the people. Now, also, that's one aspect. The second aspect, which is significant, is the structure of international economic trade, commerce, and investment has changed quite a bit. For example, South Korea used to be the principal exporter, was a major exporter of its goods and uh, services to China. And it's actually run a trade deficit with China the last four months. Of course, there are many reasons for it. One is Republic of Korea has to import energy and import lots of commodities and components from including China. And that, if the yuan continues to devalue as the way it has in the last three or four months, it could become very, very serious. That's how you created a large balance of uh, imbalance in the trading. Second part is China itself has moved up the manufacturing chain. It has the supply chain now not only for lower cost, cheaper, labor-intensive products, but has increasingly moved up the value scale. So the relationship, the economic relationship between the two has also changed quite a bit in the last decade.
0: Mm -hmm. Uh, Professor Kim, uh, as Charles mentioned about this uh, trade deficit uh, from the perspective of Korea, uh, there are some concerns. Uh, so mm-hmm. what what is the way forward? Like uh, you know, what's the uh, you know people's idea? Oh, we have a deficit with China now. What do we need to do? How big a problem for South Korea?
2: Yes, um, in a sense, South Korean business have uh, experienced the the transition from low tech labor-intensive uh, product or 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 types of business into high-tech and kind of uh, upmarket uh, expensive products. That kind of tradition, yes, South Korean businesses themselves have experienced. In the 60s, 70s, we were basically concentrating on low-tech, labor-intensive products. But then now in the, you know, 2020s, you know, mobile phones or these uh, communications or high-tech stuff or computers, that kind of semiconductor, that sort of uh, business transition we have experienced. But I, I noticed that China is also doing it, but at a much faster speed and much faster rate. And it is important for South Korean businesses to adapt to it, and then plan for that transition. So we can no longer consider China as uh, the supplier of certain, certain range of value chain. We are in many areas. It's a directly competing areas. So how Korean um, business entities or entrepreneurs can cope with this rapidly changing environment, it's entirely up to them. And uh, I think government should also be keenly aware of this situation. But I think business tends to be moving faster than government, at least in Korea. So I'm just hoping that uh, South Korean businesses can cope with the rapidly changing situation. I, I, and I think that many of them are already aware of it.
0: hmm. Uh, well, Ru Ying, as you mentioned, uh, you know uh, despite this close trade relationship, uh, there are differences between the two countries. Uh, for example, we mentioned about the trade deficit. Uh, there's another issue of like a cheap four alliance proposed by the U.S. and also the U.S. You know geopolitically, they are competing with China, or you can say contain China, and they want to drag uh, Korea uh, to their side, basically to choose side. Or to side with the U.S. against China, that's some pressure on the Korean uh, side. But uh, from Chinese perspective, how big a problem that, for example, chip four uh, semiconductor alliance here?
1: Well, yes. I think uh, having said that, the relationship is becoming um, more mature, and uh, certainly, I think China and. Uh, okay are uh, clearly aware there are problems like that. You mentioned that the geopolitics is definitely a big issue, looming large uh, in the, uh, for the bilateral relationship because as we all know that uh, the uh, economically or in terms of trade investment, uh, the relationship between China and the ROK has been very close, close partners. If the trend of uh, changes in this area uh, uh, sort of uh, uh, developed to the extent that uh, uh, the uh, practical cooperation uh, need to be adapted. Of, I mean, for for business communities, then it would be a, 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 a sort of a, a complicating factor. And in the meantime, we are certainly facing increasing the pressure from the geopolitics from the United States, who which is the sort of strategic security ally of, of of South Korea, of okay So the question for okay for South Korea is how to manage that uh, relationship. I think the Chinese, as a Chinese, Chinese scholar, I would say that the most important thing is South Korea should act independently based on its own Interest in the meantime, they also would have to work together to ensure to serve as a kind of bridge or help uh, in a way that to uh, manage that uh, competition and in the meantime do not join uh, a United States attempt or, or or agenda to contain or suppress China. I think the Chinese it's fair for the Chinese to right. say that the United States is a close ally. Uh, for security of ROK, OK. but China is a close strategic partner, at least in economic areas, yes. for ROK. OK. So our, it would be for ROK OK to manage that uh, balance.
0: And, and also, important neighbor, of course, uh, uh, for South That's Korea too. Of course, yeah. uh, Professor Kim, you know, how big a pressure is the is the South Korea, you know, like facing? Uh, for example, is, is there a political, pre- geopolitical pressure from the U.S.? You know. Please side with us against China in our agenda. <laughs> I
2: think there are two levels. One is psychological perception, uh, and then the other is the the economic reality. Um, now, a lot of Koreans still have this psychological issue of. We, South Korea, being a small country caught between two giants or three giants, or if you come to Japan, four giants, you know. So there is certainly that mentality. We are so small and we are just caught in between. We can't do anything about it. We just are at the mercy of the dictates of these giants. That's one level. Another level is the reality, economic reality. South Korean economy is like, you know, the the top 11 or 11th or that kind of level. A large economy. We we are very important in Mm. terms of economic power. And the problem is that many policymakers just cannot bridge that huge discrepancy. And they still operate under that mentality of South Korea being helpless or powerless or we are caught in between. We can't do anything of our own code. And I think that mold needs to be broken and people need to get out of that and then start thinking independently and thinking what is best for South Korea rather than what is best for the US or what is best for China, what is best for Japan. Yeah. I think South Korean politicians or general public must realize that we do have bargaining chips and we don't need to obey the orders or dictates of any neighbors or far away big, big uh, country. So it is a, 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 an important transition period. And as long as our policymakers realize that we are not powerless, mm-hmm. we, and we are not strong, big nation, we are small, but we do have certain leverages. We do have certain bargaining chips. So we need to tread carefully and cautiously rather than blindly listening to one country's dictates. Mm-hmm. And during Park President Park Geun-hye's reign, there was some unfortunate incident where the then government just listened to U.S. demand to install missile defense or missile whatever si- system without much thinking. And that's the kind of mentality, oh, we have to listen to whatever, you know, big boss orders us. We need to get out of that, I think.
0: To be, yeah, to, to have more independence, South Korea definitely is a is an economic power to reckon with. Uh, Professor Kim, uh, quickly, you know, there is, uh, of course, we have other challenges too, like uh, in particular for young people, either in South Korea or China, because of social media sometimes, you know, narrow-minded the nationalist sentiment could uh, somehow, you know, give a, a perception like, oh, we are quite hostile to each other. What can we do to narrow the gap and bring the young people together?
2: Yes, yes. I, I also noticed that um, this kind of hatred or or racism or that sort of animosity uh, between nations are becoming more and more kind of acute in, in this connected era. I don't know whether we can pinpoint this problem to social media or the, the, the other traditional media. Whether it's, it's where it comes from, or whether it comes from people, or whether it comes from the media, or whether it comes from technology, it's difficult. But what I think is important is that the, the, the political leaders, the government needs to take this issue seriously. At least in Korea, the current government, in my view, is not doing anything, just keep quiet about it. Meanwhile, on the social media or on, on internet, uh, the, the things are not, in, doesn't seem to be improving. So the government, any responsible government, not only South Korean government, but the Chinese government perhaps should also take this seriously and then uh, to, you know, invite and encourage dialogue and try to overcome, you know, racism or, or mutual hatred. Because uh, in, in A lot of situations or in a lot of cases, these uh, bad feelings or ill feelings do not have much substance. And if there are some substance, then it's really uh, the, the topic that needs to be discussed and needs to be dealt with openly and on the table rather than Try to ignore and try to pretend that government can do nothing about it. I think it's something for the government of the two countries to take seriously.
0: That's right. To speak of the dialogue, uh, CGTN, We are going the dialogue. We are going to work with uh, uh, with a forum from South Korea to bring the young people, not only from China, South Korea, but also from Japan, to talk to each other and see our problems, you know, how to deal with that, to increase understanding among uh, the people, young people in particular. Uh, thank you, Professor Kim. Lastly, uh, Charles, I want to have your words about this, you know, uh, young people coming together, easy business, investment, education, you we know, have a lot to, to talk about, you know. Uh, because of the pandemic, I guess, but partly because of that, because of that you, know, the, you do see the lack of understanding or lack of a communication among the young people. Uh, so probably it's a time to bring them together, face to face and see, you know, what are the problems? What can we do?
3: I think uh, the exchange of students which have occurred between China and Korea in the last several decades have been very positive. But because of the pandemic, all the borders are basically very difficult to cross. Um, I think... There's very little that can be done until the situation improves to the point where the borders can be completely open, um, which we hope would occur in the next couple months. But I wanted to go back to one issue that the professor was talking about, which you mentioned, is chips. Chips. Yeah. It is so important for the Korean economy when, when I was working with a company, when I was on the board of a company in the United States that manufactures chip equipment, we were shocked by how much investment, even during the financial crisis in 2008 and 2009, the Korean companies invested in building the latest and the best chip manufacturing facilities in Korea and later in China. Now, if the U.S. has its way Not only not in China, but the U.S. would like Korea and Taiwan and Japan to move their chip factories to the United States at a much higher cost and really to the detriment of the companies in Korea and Japan and Taiwan, and basically hollowing them out. So, as the professor said, I think Korea has to look at what is in the interest of Korea, not what geopolitically... The U.S. is trying to do in containing China. Korea has lots of investments in China that's producing good results mm-hmm. and must yes. not let the U.S. push it into getting try- rid of its heavy investments and improving its economy.
0: Yes, try to take their own interests into consideration. Uh, thank you, Charles. Now we turn to China's investment in Africa where a report released this week sums up how China is investing in the continent. What does the report say about the Chinese firms in Africa and what is needed most in these African countries? In this part, I will also be joined by Hannah Ryder, founder and CEO of Development Reimagined. Uh, Hannah, welcome to the show. You know, the report was released by the China-Africa Business Council as well as uh, Development Reimagined. You are the founder and CEO of this group. Tell us you know what's the major highlights? What's the major message from this report?
4: Thank you. It was obviously a real pleasure for us to uh, be part of releasing this report uh, and providing the report. The, the report really had two functions. The first is really to have a an overview of African supply chains as well as Chinese investment into this specific area over the last few years. We looked at the different companies that have been investing, why have they been investing, what have they done, and what have they contributed across the supply chain. And then the second function was really to say, well, what next? What can be done and help and helping Chinese stakeholders, of course, understand a bit more about what the challenges are around supply chains, but also the opportunities. So that was really the, the aim of this report. Um, and, and yeah, we hope it's a very good read for everyone who, who gets access to it.
0: In particular, the business community. Uh, tell us, you know, what, what's your discovery? What are your discoveries like in terms of, uh, for example, uh, from the perspective of, uh, you know, a supply chain uh, in Africa, China, uh, of course, along with those uh, development agendas.
4: Well, what we found, um, and you know, most Africans will tell you this, of course, is that supply chains are uh, very challenging across the continent. That typically, most maps you will see will show that uh, most maps, let's say, of, of transport or even digital connectivity across the continent, will show you that most of that infrastructure is focused around the borders of the continent, very much export focused. Seems there's a
0: connection uh, issue over there, Haina. Uh, let's uh, turn to uh, Yum. Uh, Ruoying, obviously for China, you know, if you take a look at the Belt and Road Initiative uh, and other initiatives by the Chinese side, uh, investing in Africa is an important part of the Chinese uh, initiative uh, and also the relationship has been there for decades and it has been very stable and very beneficial for both sides.
1: Indeed, I think, <coughs> excuse me, for China, in particular for the Chinese businessmen, uh, business community investors uh, over the past years, uh, in particular since the uh, launching of the BRI, the Belton Initiative, has now increasingly become the major sort of players uh, for uh, uh, not only for, I think, for the uh, promoting the trade and investment relationship, but more importantly, I think, with Chinese uh, business community, Chinese investment, they are they are playing a role in helping uh, africa to catch up to do better to uh, to fulfill its uh, the dream of industri- industrialization and for that i think the chinese government has always been play a very important role i remember when i was in africa more than 30 years ago a lot of us i mean are very much uh, uh, interested or pushing Around uh, in in the area where I think the infrastructure uh, 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 the things uh, could happen, but unfortunately, I think at that time China was not able to do that. And more importantly, I think uh, there are not many Chinese investors businessmen are uh, interested in or had the capability to do that. Now, thirty years later. I think that with the BRI and with these initiatives, particularly for after the uh, l- launching of FOCAC, the uh, Forum for China-Africa Cooperation, lots of things have been done. Roads have been built, the railways have been built, ports have been renovated. Now it comes to the time I mean, to see how these infrastructure will be utilized so that Africa will become more integrated and Africa will be more connected to the outside world. That's why I think the report is very important. It gives a very good picture and makes an argument that if Africa would want to do more, do better in terms of industrialization, this is the area and China and the business community should look at.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, Well, Hannah, welcome back here. Uh, You know, what's the next step in terms of you know for the Chinese investors, what they need to be aware of, you know, the challenges, possible potential challenges, or for the African countries, you know, what kind of conditions you want to create to attract more investment? Probably, you would prefer uh, in the areas.
4: Yes. Well, the report has a great number of suggestions for what next. We have a number of recommendations for both the Chinese side and. The African side. This is a report, as, as you mentioned, that's co authored by an African led organization and a, a Chinese led organization. So we have uh, suggestions for both sides. For example, on the African side, you know, we're suggesting not just opening uh, foreign investment, opening business to foreign investment, but actually focusing more, giving, for example, preferential uh, treatment to Companies that would like to invest to add value, for example, or to use longer supply chains across the continent. So target these kinds of investments that Africans really want that will that will be different from the past and will actually disrupt the existing patterns of supply chains, uh, which are which are not strong enough, but still can be improved. Uh, So that's one of the that's one of the key points that we're trying to emphasize, that African governments can do more. And, of course, the Chinese stakeholders themselves can do more. They should look at these investments, think about it into the long term. Um, As 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 the the person who was speaking earlier on, they mentioned the same point. This is not just good for Africa, not just good for China. It's good for the world if we can keep costs down of different goods um, through industrialization in African countries.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: Well, Charles, obviously, I think uh, Hannah made a good point. That is, you know, for example, uh, this hard infrastructure, uh, road, port and railways, I mean, when it is built, of course, it can be used by the Chinese investors, business people, African business people, all business people from other countries. It's a common good for everybody,
3: Public, public goods? Absolutely. But this is more for the public side. In other words, it's government to government in terms of infrastructure because it involves approvals at many different levels of government and it has to conform to the government's priorities and plans. But there's been a lot of private companies from China investing in Africa as well. I remember seeing in Ghana a Chinese entrepreneur opening a factory to make plates and bowls and then a Chinese company selling cell phones. And one of the things which has helped Africa develop very rapidly is the $50 cell phone, smartphones from Shenzhen, which allowed them to have communication, education, and even banking. This has been a very important contributor to Africa's development in the last decade. So I think on the private side, there's a lot that can be done as well.
0: Huge potential. Well, on that note, we conclude today's discussion. Many thanks to our guests. You can also find us on the CGTN app on YouTube. I'm Xu Qingduo. Thanks for being with us. See you next time.